0: Thank you, Emma. It's a short reading, and I'm not speaking from that passage, but keep it in mind. Hopefully you've got a Bible. We'll try and look through some verses together. And when you read a verse, I ought to just repeat it so others can hear. But yeah, we'll come back to that verse in Luke 18. It's a famous one. It's a wonderful one. And it's just it's at the heart of what we're going to look at together. Hey, let me tell you about work. You thinking what does he know about work? <laughs> I used to have a job I used to have a real job at one time many moons ago. Uh, work you do your work all day long. Um, you may clock in your card you know, at the, at the, you know you've worked hard you've you know you've sweat, you 've know, sweat if you 're in australia um, and at the end of the day, in an economy where, where people get paid uh, on a daily basis you Go and stand before the bus, and you're expecting what? You worked all day. What are you expecting at the end of the day? Wages. Why? Why ought he give you those? You're exchanging your time for his money. Yeah. You've done something for him. He owes you wages. Let me give you another scenario. Okay. You've been given a job to do, and. You spend the whole day on it and it's terrible. You failed miserably. Okay? Absolutely miserably. And you've done nothing of any value. You produce nothing. You go up to your boss at the end of the day and what are you expecting? Well, let me ask you what do you deserve? Wages. Well, okay, you're expecting some wages, maybe. What do you deserve? Yeah, yeah, you do. Seriously. Yeah, you deserve the sack. You were appointed for that task. You failed in it. You deserve the sack. And, you, and your manager puts his hand in his pocket and gives you a check. What have you received? You're expecting, you expecting the sack. What have you received? Yeah, kindness, mercy, grace. And, and can you say there's a difference when we when we get what we deserve, we've receive wages. okay? When we get what we don't deserve, we've received mercy, something we don't deserve. And there's a difference, and we're going to look at the difference as we go through this message. Look, I won't go through these points, but they're all the ones we've had in chapter three, okay? Today, I want to look at a new, a brand new one. We're going, to, we're going to conclude chapter three finally, and it's this: God lawfully and compassionately shows mercy to all who humbly call upon His name. I'm not getting longer and longer on there. I'm very sorry. Okay, it's, it's too much, I've got too much time on my hands. Okay, God lawfully and compassionately shows mercy to all who humbly call upon His name. That's what we see. So look, the voice. Look, after all of their repentance, the visible turnaround, which is citywide, run right up to the king. Okay, they can't be sure that God will turn and change His mind, change His position. Can you see that? They still can't be sure because look, He's going to destroy them, which means He's obviously angry with them. Okay, they've listened to Jonah's message and the best you can decipher from Jonah's message, what a terrible preacher, and this guy's meant to be uh, a prophet. You wonder how his congregation are getting on, don't you? What a terrible preacher because the best he leaves them with is the thought that God's going to destroy them. If you ever hear me leaving you with that sense that God God is angry with you, hey, you should fire me. That God's going to destroy you. Really? You don't want a pastor like that. That's what Jonah did. The best he leaves them with was his sense that God's going to utterly destroy them. And so look, here they are turning from their sins, coming to remorse, feeling the gravity of what they've done, coming before God in repentance, humility, not knowing, thanks to Jonah, not knowing. Look, who knows? Who knows? God may yet... Relent, and with compassion, turn from his fierce anger, so that we will not perish. They're shooting blind. Is that the saying? Is it shooting blind or hitting blind? What is it? Blind. Pardon? Flying Flying blind. Thank you. Yeah, I don't even matter know the answer to that. Uh, Or Graham, especially. Uh, Look, they're flying blind, aren't they? There's no assurance. They have no idea. They know what they deserve. They know. what what wages they should get, they're flying blind. And, you know, there's authenticity. They're not trying to bribe God here. It's not blackmail God in here because there's no assurance God's going to do anything. They are genuinely humbling themselves before God. And so finally, in verse 10, we have these, which are incredible words, and you'll see why shortly. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion. That's not the actual word. I'm going to look at that with you in a minute, but that's, that's what it says in my, my translation. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Compassion is this Hebrew word here. Thanks, Greg. Here it is. It's the Hebrew word, Okay, It's closer to English translation. It isn't compassion. It's Relent. It's translated repent in some of your Bibles. Has anybody got repent in your Bible? If, you're, if you've got a Bible, just turn, has anyone got repent? God repents. Because it is translated repent in some Bibles and it's done some injury to God's reputation, if you like. Because what is repentance? You're changing your mind and you're going from what position to what position? You're going from something which is B-A-D, bad, to something good. And see, if God's repenting, he seems, to suggest that, he seems to suggest that what God was going to do to the Ninevites is bad. Let me ask you, maybe you think it is. Is what God threatens the Ninevites, is that bad? <laughs> no, it's not morally bad, is it? I mean, here's an apologist. Is that morally bad? It's not, is it? It's just. So God hasn't got to, isn't doing any repenting as though He's going to do something awful to these poor people who are the most wonderful people on earth. And why would God be so terrible to these people? No, what God is doing, it opposes justice, it's good, isn't it, in that sense. And so, God doesn't need to repent. This is rather relent. This is what it means. Here's a commentator. The Hebrew verb nehem refers rather to a decision to act otherwise and does not necessarily imply that the first action is inferior to the second. Can you see that? So, so God isn't changing his mind because he's relenting, because, oh, this is horrible. He's rather he is, responding, he is responding to the genuine remorse of these people. But there's much more to it than that, because here's the thing. God looks at what they've done, and he relents, so he, he, he makes an alternative decision. He's not going to destroy them. He's going to let them leave, uh, live. He forgives them. He shows them mercy, is the word I used earlier. But here's my point. What on earth is God doing? How? How could he possibly Seriously, when you read this, you've got to say this, you ask yourself this, how can God possibly do that? Has he taken leave of his senses? What right does he have? Why am I so upset with God? Because I am. Why am I so upset with him? How on earth can he He should deal with it. He should deal with it, Bronn. Let me say, okay, you're standing on trial, if you don't mind, you're standing on trial you're, for murder. and It's understandable. Okay? <laughs> right, okay. You're on trial for murder. Right? Okay. Has he got any siblings alive? Does anybody care for him? He's got some sons, has not he? Okay, okay. Here's the thing. You plead before the judge. Oh, please forgive me, judge. You know, you know, if only you'd live with him. You know, <laughs> you know, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I really am sorry, I will never do it again, I promise. Okay, and then the judge turns around and says, you know Bron, it's okay, you go, go on, you go home. What would his, his sons say? Yeah. What would his sons do? Okay, but then it wasn't Bron, it was some person, a pop fight, okay. What would Bron say when the guy who stood stands for trial for murder, cold-blooded murder, and the judge turns around and says, after finding him guilty, the judge turns around and says, it's okay, mate, we will lay you off this time. You're obviously very sorry. What would Bron do? How would she feel? What would her response be? Not Not just- How dare you? How can you? You see, that judge has no right to do that. It's not his kid on the tr- It's not his kid. You see, this is a crime. And here's the thing about the Ninevites. You see, the Ninevites literally skin people alive. You try on him, you got my permission. Because I can guarantee you, once he's once you skin him alive, he won't be good for anything. Okay? They'll be dead. Their remorse isn't going to bring back hundreds and thousands of people that are dead. Their remorse isn't going to comfort the parents of that kid that they assassinated. Their sorries doesn't do anything. Sorry doesn't change a thing. You can beat me up and say sorry, but wow, I'm injured. My injuries remain. Seriously, can you see the point here? How on earth can God forgive these people? What about their families? Can you imagine if that happened here? Somebody stood in trial, like the one I just said, and the judge said, Okay, you can go. What would they be doing outside? What would the news reporters say? What would be happening in every shop down the high street? Full scale riot. A judge has no authority to overturn the law, he is bound by it, he has to uphold it. God has already acted as jury to the Ninevites. They were terrible people, believe me. They were terrible people. God has already acted as judge and he has judged that they deserve what? Destruction. He can't change his mind. They've got to pay. They've got to do the time. Someone has got to pay the consequence, and their remorse has no impact. And here's the thing, this is what God is bound by. You see, the thing about God, he's bound by his word, and this is what he said, Ezekiel eighteen twenty, the one or the soul who sins... Don't turn to it. But it, it, here's a quote. The soul who sins shall die. <coughs> Would you turn to Romans whilst I'm talking, Romans 6, somebody. I'm going to come to that next if you would, in your Bibles. I'm going to just quote Ezekiel 18, 18 20. The soul who sins shall die. It's God's word. You sin, you die. He says this same in Romans 6. Would someone read it, please? Romans six twenty-three? Would someone just read that for me, please, if you're there. Romans 6. You may know it off by heart. It's a popular verse. Romans six twenty-three. Yeah. The wages of sin, you know it is death. Well, you can't trust him, can you? He doesn't keep his word, does he, God? He set himself, he's stipulated, he's bound by it. If God ever contradicts his word, he ceases to be God. He said himself, the soul who sins shall die. And contrary to what some people think, no, God can't do anything. Here's a catechism. Some of these catechisms are in, you know, historical reform creeds and stuff. You know, In the church I grew up in, you, Naomi did too. You, you would memorise these things, the question and answers, the catechisms, okay? Here's one that comes up in a catechism. Can God do all things? Can God do anything? What's the answer? No, he can't. What's the answer? He can do only his holy will. God cannot step outside of his holy will holiness is an attribute of God God can never step outside of his holiness God can never do anything outside of his holiness he will cease to be God The reason, what makes God God are his attributes God cannot God cannot step outside of his will God cannot say one thing and do another it's why we have so much confidence in him in related to him it's one thing we know about God you can't bribe him he can't be won over. He can't be bought. And one of the reason we worship God is because we know He's just. The reason we take our cases to Him because we know He'll always act justly. And He cannot let the Ninevites go free because they have killed people. They have destroyed people's lives. And unless God is going to go and undo all of that. Go and repair every hurt. Resurrect every dead person. Put them back in their own skin. I think God has no right, according to himself, to say, I forgive you. What can God do? God can only do his will, which conforms to his standard and to his attribute. God cannot act beyond that. He has no right, no ability to forgive them just like that. It's one of the things we see in other religions and from my own past. And you hear, and, and they won't face it. And Katie, I'm sure this is an area of yours in apologetics. Is look, you, you know, God's of other religions, you you know, and you, know, you say you know, on what basis did they forgive you? Oh, because he's God, he can just forgive you. You can't, to have a God like that leaves you in a position where no one knows what you're saying. You see, even God can't just forgive. So here's the question then. You've probably thought about it by now. I did ask you before I prayed. Uh, and the answer's reasonably obvious. How then can God forgive? On what basis can God forgive the Ninevites? Because he's either untrustable, unreliable, he's not God, because he's just one of us. After all, he just changes his mind and just does whatever he wants when it suits him. On what basis? Someone have have a guess. On what basis can God possibly forgive? You're going to turn to these two verses, which will help you. Uh, Will someone turn to 1 John 2, please, and someone else to John chapter 1. So both Johns, 1 John 2, is, it's, it's just before the end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 2, if somebody turns there, please. And if somebody else will turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 29. And we'll have 1 John... Did, did anybody want to shout the answer before we read the Scriptures? Have a go! I won't embarrass you. I don't embarrass him. He deserves it. I won't embarrass you. Okay. Now, that's a good answer, Graham, but there's an issue there, and you were in hospital, so you get away with it. Okay. Where do they get the repentance from? You, you, you? Yeah. Okay. It's because of God's mercy, because His wrath has been diverted from their by Jesus. And you got it. She's a wonderful theologian, that woman. Okay, give her a star. Seriously, that, 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 that's the answer. Would you read the text? Two, two. This is the only reason God can forgive. There is no being in the universe that can forgive sins except our God, and it's on this basis alone. Would you would someone read One, John two, verse two, really loudly? One, John two, verse two. He is the atoning sacrifice. You know what that word is? That's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word there, a, a, word, a Greek word which, we, which people we, we don't like using. It's hard to understand propitiation. Okay. He is the propitiation for not for, only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. What does that word mean? Where is he from? What quarter of the world geography, history is he from? What, what's the etymology of, of propitiation? What's, what's his root? Okay it's 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 from pagan language okay and it's from pagan worship and they use it in what con- in what context appeasing the anger appeasing the anger of the gods, the anger of the gods. That's, what the, that's what the word means jesus is the instrument by which the anger of god and the wrath of god towards sin and the sinner is, ap- is propitiating. And the reason it's propitiated is because the subject that is the appreciation is the object or, or becomes, rather, the source of that sin. Let me explain what I mean. I, 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 well, next verse will be a bit, bit clearer. Uh, 1 John 29. It's so not 1 John. John 1 29. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay. Why can God forgive sins because... The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. So here's a God, he forgives sin because his anger is averted. And he forgives sin because that sin is taken away. Someone explain, how is it? How does Jesus' death take away sin? Why does God become appeased? Why does his anger subside? Why can he forgive? What, what is it about the cross? What does the cross do? Give me some details, somebody, anybody. Yeah, uh, but, that, but that, that, that's cheating, okay? Explain that to me. I'm a dummy. Explain it to me. Our yes, so that's the, some of the answer. And then here's some mechanics. Our sins yes. Okay, so, so look, there's a verse, 2 Corinthians 5. Would someone turn to it? It's a really important verse. So Thank you, Bron. And, and thank you, everybody else. Uh, look, uh, one, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Two I'll read it but if you just turn with me to it so we've got well, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John Acts, Romans 1st and 2nd Corinthians 2nd Corinthians okay 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 he made God made him who knew no sin who's that? Jesus to be you know it don't you to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God how does the cross work? I mean it's just two pieces of wood and a man hanging on it okay how does it work? Here's what happens. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Only someone like God could have thought of it because what he does, he takes the sins of the perpetrator, perpetrator, their guilt, what they've done, the very essence of what it is, the sinner that they are, he somehow, by the power he possesses, takes all of that weight and he places it on Jesus Christ when he's on the cross and Jesus not just feels away the sin, he becomes a sinner. He becomes a wretched thing that God hates. Why do you think? Why do you think God said to Jesus when he's on the cross was said about him? Uh, no, what Jesus said to God, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would Jesus say that? Why had God forsaken him? Because he became the sinner. He became what we are. He took upon himself, he's so identified with humanity that he became what we are, a murderer, a pedophile, a rapist, or whatever else we may be. And when he became that, God could not look at this pile of sin. Without exaggerating him, at that moment in history, God hated person on the cross so much so that their relationship was severed that Jesus suffered hell not by going to a place called hell suffered the hell of having God his enemy my God my God why have you forsaken me Jesus became the Ninevites Jesus did the time on behalf of the Ninevites. He suffered the full fury of God's wrath on the Ninevites. When Jesus was on the cross, you never probably thought of it, but here's the reality. He was dying for the Ninevites. He had them on his mind. In you know, Isaiah 53, when he says he says, the travail of his soul, he when, he, when he sees what he has done and the, and the effects of it, He shall be satisfied. You know why? When Jesus was on the cross, he was thinking about the Ninevites and he knew that he was paying for the Ninevites' get-out-of-jail card so that God could be God and be true to his word and only do all of his holy will. Jesus felt a sense of satisfaction, said Isaiah, on the cross because he paid for every skinning alive that the Ninevites perform. That's how God forgives sin. If you don't ask that question, then we haven't done the maths. Because somebody has to ask, how on earth can he do it? And he can do it because the sin was paid. You don't have to answer the next question. Has anybody here had a speeding fine? Yeah, I think that means, yeah, I'd assume that was the case. Look, you get a letter. Uh, I don't. Don't ask me how I know this. You know, uh, you can read about it in Google. Okay, you get a letter. Okay, it's called an expiation notice. It comes with a bill and a number of points on your licence. Now, you can try this. I know somebody tried it. I've only just moved to the country. I, I don't really know Aussie rules. You know, and I'm really sorry. I, I don't know who did that. It obviously, It wasn't me. Okay, okay. You know, can you let me off this once? I'll never do it again. I am genuinely sorry. And this person who wrote a letter like that had the letter back. Guess what he said? Of course, mate. You're in Oz now. We're laid back. Who cares about the law? Who cares about the state? Go on. Have a ball. And when you do next summer, we'll lay you off as well. Had a letter? They didn't even give me a letter. Okay? They didn't give that person a letter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? The fine was paid and the points went on. There's no way out of it. You see, no matter how many letters the person wrote, the person receiving those letters has no legal ability to do anything. It's not what you write, don't bother, don't write those letters because they don't have the legal power to do anything. No one does. No police officer, no person judicially can overturn the act of the government which establishes you cannot go 65 on a 60 year road. No one can overturn it. And if it ever gets overturned, it's illegal. There is one way out of a
1: speeding
0: fine. Less brutal. There There is one way out of a speeding fine. There is one way out of a speeding fine. There is one way legally, uphold legally. Well, it's legal the, yeah. There's one way out of a speeding fine, legally. Your husband taking the wife to have a baby. Yeah. No, that 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 wouldn't be legal. That would be compassion and it would be illegal. You get somebody off to say that else that Yes. There is a legal way out of a speeding fine. Well, it's not legal, really. Okay. It's it's legal in this case. You weren't driving the car. You weren't driving the car if you really weren't driving the car, he gets the ticket. You should put his name on there. How does God forgive sins? How did he forgive the Ninevites? They weren't driving the car. The cross makes it, legally, that they weren't driving the car. They're not culpable. Jesus was driving that car. You see the point? That's what the cross does. It makes him legally culpable. And being legally culpable, he suffers the full fury of God's wrath against sin. It's what the hymn writer, we sang it earlier. My sin, nor in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's why God forgives you. It's the lawful act. It stands up to the scrutiny of who he is. He, t- he heard your cries. You know when you cried, out, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you know what God's response to that is? I already have. I already have. When you cried, God, forgive me. His, you know what his response is? I already have. Before you asked. And for us, unlike the Ninevites, before you sinned. Before we did the crime, Romans 3. If you're studying Romans, Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely. I mean, it's made right through the grace, through the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ, with God set him forth as a propitiation by his blood. Hey, let me ask you. Do you feel the gravity of sin? Do you feel the weight of Letting him down, does does it make him miserable? Are you embarrassed to be here? Because if, if they knew what you were really like, they wouldn't want to sit next to you. Do you fear what people would think of you if they knew? What you really think? I'm sorry, Emma. Let me ask you, do you feel terrible? Are you terrible? Not just do you feel terrible, are you terrible deep down inside? But, but you, we're here and, and, and there's a veneer. You know, we put our best makeup on, get our best perfume on, and our best shirt. Because we're trying to mask a reality. We're terrible. Is that you? It's me. Hey, I'll tell you, that's me. It is. It <coughs> is me. Have you peered into the dark and ugly boundaries of human depravity? Hey, (coughs) some of us this week, even today, maybe last night, have thought things, said things, planned things, watched things, looked at things, done things that are disgusting. And we're here. And perhaps feeling something of the gravity of that. If we weren't feeling something of the gravity of that, there's something terribly wrong. Here's God's word to you. However despicable we may be, whatever sins we commit, and I'm talking to Christians here, so I'm talking post-salvation. Okay? Here's here's how Jesus looks at you. Luke 18. The tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus, knowing what was ahead of him on that cross, says, I tell you, This man went to his house justified rather than the other. Let me tell you this, Christian. It's paid for. It's all paid for. Everything you've done all of last week, said and thought and planned, even... Into this service, even whatever sins you may have or I may have committed during the hour and a half we've been together, it's paid for. Not in part, in full, not just some of it, all of it. And not just up until I said this sermon. But the ones this afternoon, and the ones tomorrow, and the ones next week, and the ones a week after that, and after that, and after that, he's taken all of your sin, every single one, from, from your conception to your death. And he's paid for them. He's paid them, Christian. So stop carrying the weight yourself they paid for. And with God, contrary to whatever you may believe in, without giving you a license to sin, because Paul says, you know, should we carry on sinning? Christians don't just arbitrarily carry on sinning, so I'm sure this is not a license to you. But no matter how many times you repeat that sin, it's not a case of, he's going to forgive you 70 times. What did he say to Peter? How many times should I forgive my brother? He's not asking anything of Peter that he doesn't do himself. How many times should he forgive, should, should he forgive his brother? For the same sin. 70 times 7. Which is what? An innumerable number. Let me tell you this. This isn't a license to sin, but let me tell you the truth. He forgives you every time. Every time. Because if there's one single instance when God didn't forgive you, he would have to damn you. Forever. Because it makes a mockery of the cross. It means Jesus was so absent-minded, he forgot about that sin. Your sin. Not in part. Not just some not just before, the pre-conversion ones, not just the casual ones, but even the regular ones. And if there are, we may need help. Uh, we're not suggesting, that if there's ongoing regular sin, that we don't need help, that we don't need some, someone to come alongside us, help us get over that, and, and to, to get better at fighting. It will, that's a different sermon, okay? But for this sermon, he paid for the repeat of, repeated sins as well. Every single one of them Christian. There is nothing that you can do that will ever put you outside the love of God because he said he loves you eternally. I have loved you with an everlasting love. You need to know that. I need to know that. Okay? he's never going to turn his back on you, he's never going to write you off, he's never going to give you up, he's never going to damn you, because you are his, you have been his from eternity, and you will be his to eternity. And the response to that isn't to go and sin more, because he's free, the response to that is to love him more, because he's so incredible. You're loved. You're forgiven. May that cheer your heart as the near Ninevites were cheered when God looked at them and relented and did not bring upon them the destruction that they deserved. Amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.